Hey friends, welcome to God on Tap, and as always, I am Nika Spaulding, and today we are continuing on in the letter of Jude. So yesterday what we did is we looked at Jude 1 through 10 and part A, which is where we looked at just the, if you can imagine each of these Old Testament references that we're going to walk through are like hyperlinks. We clicked on the first one, and that took us to Numbers 14. Today we are going to on the second one, and that's going to take us to another part of the Old Testament as well as some other writings. And so we are picking up in the same passages that we did yesterday, but we're going to take a deep dive into them. And so I'm just going to read for us verses 5 through 10, and then this will be part B of that. So Jude 5 through 10, part B. This is the word of the Lord. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so like I said, we are now hyperlinking part two. If we double click on that and then boom, new window opens, what is Jude talking about? And so just by a little way of refresher, Jude is writing this letter to a audience that would have that would have done a deep dive, would have known their Jewish literature. We know this because he is very briefly referencing Old Testament as well as other Jewish literatures. For example, First Enoch is what we're going to talk about today. And he's assuming they know. And what he's doing is he's contrasting these other examples of Old Testament and Jewish rebellion with the false teachers of his current day. So Jude is standing in the first century AD. He's writing about stuff that happened in Israel's history. He's saying, hey, those idiots led people astray and there were consequences for that. And likewise, these false teachers, they they too, ergo, are idiots. So he is he is using the Old Testament to his advantage to build his case law against them. And so in today's podcast, what we're going to talk about is the second example. So the first example was he talks about the people that were saved out of the Exodus and they they the spies go into the land, they refuse to believe God. And so therefore that generation has to wander in the wilderness. Everybody above the age of 20 wanders in the wilderness. That's the Kadesh Barnea. It's from Numbers 14. That was example one. Example two is weird. And that's the one that we're going to do today. And so what he's saying, I'm going to read to you the specific verse and then we'll jump into, we'll, we'll click on that hyperlink. And so this is where he, the first one was the wandering in the wilderness. And then the second one is when he says, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he, and this is Jesus, has kept him in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. That is our reference. And you're supposed to know what he's talking about. Ha! <laughs> so what is he talking about? Okay, so this is a reference actually to two different pieces of literature, okay? And so one comes from our Bible, which is great, Genesis 6. And so let me explain to you what's going on in the Genesis 6 account. 
God in Genesis 1 and 2 has created the world and everything in it. Everything's good. He uses the word tov. Tov means good. Everything's tov, 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 tov. Good, 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 good. And then dun, 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 we get to Genesis 3 and everything unravels. So Adam and Eve, who are given free will, they choose to rebel from the perfect life that they have been given. They're perfect walking with God because sin is irrational. It makes us stupid. So they rebel. And then from there, you're like, that's okay. Hit the reset button. We'll start over. Except no, because we keep going and Cain kills Abel. We have fratricide, fratricide, fraternal dying, murdering, killing, horrible and then Lamech, uh, Lamech or Lamech or whatever he like brags about killing other people and it's just like everything's just like <laughs> until we get to Genesis 6 which is where God says I grieve of ever having even created mankind because things are just spiraling out of control so what happens in Genesis 6 that he's referring to okay the Bible's weird y'all all right so let's just agree the Bible's weird. Let's also agree that we're human. We are mortal creatures. And there are spiritual realms outside of our mortal understanding. There is the heavenly realm where the triune exists. But within the created order, we know that there's not just the creation that includes humanity and the world and animals and fluffy kitties and puppy dogs and narwhals. But there's also a created world that's the heavenly world of angels. Okay? That realm has their own rebellion. And we know this because in Genesis 3, there are four characters in that story. You've got Adam. Well, first of all, you've got the triune God. Okay, so Trinitarian gods in the Garden of Eden. Then you've got Adam. Then you've got Eve. And then there's the fourth character, which if you remember is this serpent that shows up and wreaks havoc. Okay, so we know that there are other created beings in the world that God has created. There are lots of passages throughout the scripture that talk about angels. Whether or not you believe in angels is a, a matter of whether or not you really you take the text of the scripture seriously. There are clearly angels. You have angels that visit um, Elizabeth in the Bible that she's going to have John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. You have angels who visit Mary. You have angels who are at the tomb. When Je Okay, so angels are a part of the created world. So just like humans that we chose to rebel in the Genesis account as we're watching everything spiral downward, and turn into greater and greater ew. The fallen angel world is also participating in that, okay? And so what we have going on in Genesis 6 is this crazy story where, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna read it to you and explain to you what people think is going on here, okay? So in Genesis 6, and bear with the turning of the pages, uh, that's how you know I use a real paper Bible though. It says, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, that phrase right there, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh for his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God, there's that phrase again, came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of who were of old, the men of renown. And we're supposed to read that and go, say what now? Okay, this phrase, sons of God, they, the sons of God, whatever they are, whoever they are, saw the sons of, the daughters of men, so the sons of God, whoever they are, saw these women and they took them as wives and they bore to them children and they became the Nephilim. 
okay? And we're supposed to be like, what now? So there's three big interpretations of this passage that most people agree upon. That is one of the three. The first one is that the sons of God are angels, okay? Which is what Jude believes. He is referencing this story and saying the sons of God, those were angels who rebelled from their place and they went into the women and they created their children, which became the Nephilim, okay? That's what Jude believes. Other people, though, are like, that's weird. Angels and humans interbreeding. I don't think so. So the other view of sons of God is a term to describe the godly line of Seth. So you have um, Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel. And after Cain kills Abel, then they have a third son, Seth. Seth's lineage is sometimes believed to be that of a more holy line, unlike Cain, who is a murderous dude and anger management problems. So that's the other interpretation is that rather than it be angels, it's just a sons of God is a term that references uh, this line of, of this line of men, but they rebelled. They were supposed to be the holy ones. And yet they even rebel because they take for whoever they want their wives. Okay. So that's the second one. And the third one, that sons of God word is a, is a weird term. And so some people believe it means like these dynastic rulers, like these kings, that these men who were kings in the land decided to take whoever they wanted for wives. And so they took them and then they built, you know, then they had their sons and the sons became known as the Nephilim. There are these warrior people who wreaked havoc on the earth. Okay. Those are the three main interpretations. Okay. I will tell you though, wherever you land on that, just know Jude clearly believes that it's fallen angels. And Jude is referencing this account in Genesis 6. He's like, listen. You guys, these false teachers, they are like the angels who did not stay in their place, instead left their place. And because of that, God is going, Jesus has put them in chains to lock them up until their final day. And so you're like, wow, okay, how do we know um, that that's exactly what he's talking about? Well, Jude is not only referencing Genesis 6, which is our biblical account of this story, but he's also referencing a work of literature known as First Enoch. Okay, so we have two stories that Jude is referencing at the same time. The first one is Genesis 6, which comes from our scriptures, the book of Genesis, first book in our Bible. The second one is this book, First Enoch. Okay, so what is First Enoch? Well, first of all, Enoch is, if you remember Enoch from the scriptures, he's one of the two men who is just taken up by God. Okay, so if you remember the prophet Elijah, Elijah, not Elisha, Elijah is profiting, all that's a profiting, that's like not making money, but being a prophet. And, uh, and then God is like, and you know, like teleports him up and he goes up to heaven. If you remember early on in the scriptures, the one who went, who had that happened to him in Genesis was a guy named Enoch. So Enoch gets taken up by God. He doesn't die. Weird, crazy story, whatever. Well, one of the things that would happen in Jewish literature is people would take the name of somebody who was important or, or you know, admirable, and then they would write letters using their name, but everybody kind of knew that they didn't actually write it, right? So we have books like called like the Testament of Moses. Well, Moses had been dead for, you know, hundreds of years before this book, this letter gets written. Same is true for Enoch. There's no way Enoch wrote this letter. In fact, this letter most likely was a hodgepodge of different letters that had been put together. But it was designed to explain a little bit of just the myth and the and the stories that the Jewish people believed. So in this book, First Enoch, which was written somewhere like 200 BC, 300 BC to 200 AD, 300 AD, kind of in that range. This book, Enoch, in the it has five big teachings. The first one is called the Watchers. The Watchers is another code for angels. So angels are meant to be 
these created things that participate with God's good and perfect will to watch over humanity and to participate in God's activity in the world. That's what angels are supposed to do. Well, they fall, not all of them, but some of them fall. And this fall, this mythic story of their falling takes place specifically in first Enoch books six through 19. So in the first like book is called the watchers and first Enoch six through 19 they, this details the story of the angels falling. And so first Enoch understood Genesis six as fallen angels. So when people talk about what does that passage in Genesis, Genesis six mean, almost all of the early Jewish writing is all agreeing it's fallen angels. These angels slept with women and had children named the Nephilim. And this is not good. They are not supposed to do this. Okay, and we know this because one of the beautiful things that Jude is doing is he is using the term keep, trepho, it's this, uh, or yeah, it's uh, tereo, excuse me, not trepho, tereo is the Greek word for keep, and he is strategically using it in this text. And so, unfortunately, my ESV translates the first word not as kept, but what is happening, so I'm going to kind of, I'm going to give you a paraphrase of what's going on here, and this is what Jude is saying to us, is that the angels, these heavenly created beings, they're not God, they're also not humanity, but they are created and they're meant to serve God. All of creation is meant to serve God and to, to display his glory and his goodness and his beauty and majesty in the world. They have chosen, there were a group of them that chose to rebel from God's perfect will. Sounds like humans, I know. And in doing so, they chose to come and participate in sexual activity with the women of earth, which is a no-no. You should not be doing that. And so Jude is using this word keep, and he's what he's doing is this very common thing in 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 this in our religious writings, which is basically it describes our behavior in certain terms, and then uses a play on words for our consequence. In other words, the punishment fits the crime. The punishment is similar to the crime. So let me give you an example from the Old Testament where we see this. Jacob is a deceiver. Okay, that's what his name means. And he's always lying, right? He stole his, his Esau's birthright. He dressed up like his brother. He's a liar. He lies to his, his uh, father-in-law, right? He like lies about the sheep and all that. And so then all of a sudden, Jacob on his wedding night goes to lay with what he thinks is going to be Rachel and his father-in-law uses the same mechanism of deception that Jacob has been using on others against Jacob. And Jacob has sex with Leah instead of Rachel, which is the... I mean, ultimate, like, I, I, that should just, like, that, like, are you kidding me kind of moment in the scriptures? There's a lot of those in the scripture. I think the Bible is wildly fascinating, and the story should make us, like, like do water spit takes. Like, we should be reading that story, and you're like, oh, Jacob worked seven long years for his wife. Jacob, the deceiver, goes in to be with his wife. He finally gets what he's been waiting on, and pff, he's with the wrong woman. And you're kind of meant to laugh, but you're also like, yeah, you know what? Punishment fits the crime. I mean, that's, yeah. So this is what Jude says in our story, okay, where we get this play on words. He says to him, and the angels who did not stay, the ESV translated stay, but it's really, it's really the Greek word for tereo, it's keep. So the angels did not keep to their place. So instead, Jesus is keeping them, same Greek word, in eternal chains. The punishment fits the crime. You did not keep to where you were supposed to be. You do not keep to your rightful place. You do not keep to the plan of God. Therefore, Jesus is going to keep you where you belong now, which is an eternal change. In other words, the punishment fits the crime. The crime, you don't keep to your proper spot. Punishment, boom. 
How about them chains being kept up all in them? So that is this play on words that's taking place in the book of Jude. And it's really beautiful demonstration of God's justice and the consequences. Okay, so that was TLDR, too long, didn't read. Let me summarize all of this because this was a lot of info. But again, we're double clicking on it. Jude, the writer Jude is trying to warn these people, his modern audience, his, his audience, hey, you need to be careful for false teachers. And then what he does is he's like, let me remind you of some examples from our literature of people who rebelled and there were consequences. People who participate in apostasy, which is to walk away from God, and there were consequences. Example one, the people who rebelled at the Kadesh Barnea that were about to go in the land. Example two, angels. Angels who did not keep to their proper place. And so now they were being kept in eternal chains. That's example two. And he does these, he builds his case by referencing literature that he expects his own audience to understand. So the follow-up questions that you should have. Is First Enoch a part of scripture? No. Does Jude think First Enoch is a part of scripture? I don't think so. I think what Jude is doing here is it's like any good writer who's referencing things around him. We see this in, in Acts 17 when Paul is in, in, in Athens and he comes up and he's like, oh, this idol to an unknown God, let me explain to you the God who is not unknown. Like he is referencing things in their cultural milieu that they would have been like, oh, okay, this is what it's like. And so I think Jude is just very aware of this writing and he's aware that his audience would know of his writing. I don't think Jude quoting it thinks that first Enoch is a part of scripture, okay? Because the the canon of the Old Testament did not include first Enoch. I think people knew, hey, these are really important passages. This is an important part of our understanding of our Jewish heritage. It's very popular. I think people would have read it, but I do not believe that Jude thought he was quoting scripture when he talks about it. Instead, I think he's quoting from first Enoch because it fills out for us the story that is so briefly mentioned in Genesis 6. So the Genesis 6 story, very brief, and Jude's like, hey, remember that rebellion from the angels? Let me quote from first Enoch to fill out this example. But ultimately what he's doing is he's not trying to make an argument that first Enoch should be scripture. It's called pseudepigrapha because it uses a name of somebody who we all know didn't actually write it. So pseudo writings, like it's not their actual writing. And the pseudepigrapha, we have lots of them. They're well known. I do not believe that Jude thought it was a part of the scripture. I think he's using the pseudepigrapha because he's saying, hey, you guys remember this story. Let me quote from it and tell you. Okay, so First Enoch, angels fall. Genesis 6, angels fall. Judas telling his people, do not be like these angels. Okay? Do not rebel because guess where they're at? They are being kept in chains for that day of judgment when they will be set free only to face their final consequence. It is a gloomy darkness. The path of following these false teachers is the same path that these fallen angels took and it will only lead to Gloomy darkness. That is what Jude is telling his audience. So what's our big so what? Okay. In all this cosmic, angelic, what are we even, like we're talking about realms beyond our understanding language. Something could get lost and I want to point it out. This play on word, this tereo verb, this kept. Jude likes this verb. And this is how I know is because he uses it here as a play on words. The angels didn't keep to their place. Therefore, they're being kept in eternal chains. But you know where else he talks about being kept? He talks about it in the beginning of his letter. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Isn't that really beautiful? Like he's using this 
And later on in verse 20, he says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's Jude's argument through the word kept in the beginning. Guess what? Beloved, you are called by God and you are being kept by Jesus Christ. These false teachers, they're like the angels who don't keep to their place, and therefore they're being kept for the just and right judgment. So let me remind you at the end of this letter to keep to the love of God. Remain in that keeping. Abide in Jesus. Keep yourself in the love of God so that it will go well with you. If Jude had a theology of keptness, it would be this. You are being kept by Jesus, and praise God for that. And these false teachers of old, they did not do their keeping and they're not being kept. They're being kept in a very different and horrible way. A good and just but horrible way. So keep in your love. Don't don't be like them. Follow Jesus. Stay in his keepingness. Walk in your keepingness. Recognize your keptness, so to speak. And I think that is a really beautiful pastoral moment in the middle of of what is a very cosmic, like, like like Jude has widened the camera lens out to talk about these cosmic moments in history of angels rebelling from God, and yet he's reminding us, but you, beloved, you, beloved, are being kept by God. And so this is important for us to know because I think so many times we, we forget what Jesus, I think, does for us. In this reminder letter to these people, And hey, there will be false teachers. This is very stern and unforgiving language at times. It is, hey, just like the people who rebelled at Kadesh Barnea and they wandered in the wilderness and they all died. And just like the angels who are now bound in chains. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's also this tenderness bookending it though, saying you are the kept ones. God is doing the heavy lifting here. He is keeping you for his own. You are his inheritance. He has called you and Jesus is keeping you. You are safe in Christ. But you should walk in that keepingness. You should walk as you're being kept in it. Don't go astray, but instead recognize who you are as the kept one of God. And then keep up with him. Walk with him all the days of your life. That's our so what. Keep up. Keep up with God, knowing the whole time he's keeping you close, even when you falter. All right, friends, this was long, but I think it's important to unpack. And so hopefully this was edifying and encouraging to you all. If nobody's told you today that they love you, I do. Way more importantly, the God who keeps you in perfect love is crazy about you. Peace.